Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato and this is Round 20, the Brazilian Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton led Mercedes to a fifth Constructors' Championship with victory in Brazil, but he was lucky to take the top step in another problematic race for the Silver Arrows. Max Verstappen easily had the Briton covered, but an Aaron Esteban Ocon crashed into him past half-distance, relegating the Dutchman to a very unhappy second place. To discuss how Mercedes lucked into Brazilian victory, I'm joined by Fernando Campos from podcast Fernando is Faster Than You. Fernando, how are you doing? I'm great. Hello, Michael. Hello, everyone. It's always an honor to be here and also an honor to be talking about my home race and a great experience to be in Interlagos. We have a lot of stories to talk about and uh, yeah, I hope you guys like it. It was a big weekend as well. I mean, this is the first time in so many years there hasn't been a Brazilian driver at the Brazilian Grand Prix or in Formula One in general. Uh, There are plenty of ex-Brazilian drivers walking around, but it didn't seem to really dampen the enthusiasm of the audience at all this weekend. Yeah. I was impressed because we had all these things going against the race of course we don't have a Brazilian driver for the first time nor uh, Felipe Massa retirement which is new we had that twice two in a row yes (laughs) (laughs) and uh, we also didn't have a title decider so everything seemed to be pointing towards the way that we were not we were not having a, a big crowd but we were surprised on Friday already because the typical attendance that we have on Friday was not there. It was a typical Saturday. It was more full than the usual. And Saturday was already looking like a Sunday. So we had a big attendance, the biggest attendance in Interlagos since 2011. And this is surprising because, first of all, what we talked about, we don't have a Brazilian driver, there's no title to be decided. And also, because Interlagos is being debated as uh, as it should as if it should stay on the calendar or not if we should be taken off the calendar and so this was a good surprise to have and uh, it points us to a good direction about uh, maintaining interlagos on the calendar because of course um, it's one thing to remove not so historical tracks now if you talk about removing suzuka or silverstone or interlagos it's a different ball game and having this sort of number and having this sort of reaction from the crowd is already special and i feel optimistic about the future of interlagos i would hope that they maintain it because it's such a mythological place it's such a historical place that you cannot lose it uh, just because of just because quote unquote just because of money <laughs> and this is a d- yeah. big decision for the sports bosses over the next year really because well some of the tracks you mentioned silverstone being one of them also without a contract for the next couple of years uh, and also comes on the weekend that it was announced it will be going to vietnam in 2020 so possibly a shift of priorities we don't know how it'll be played but we will find out in the next presumably 12 months although you never can predict formula one but looking at the race itself we've got this really interesting situation where the championship was wrapped up early the driver's championship was wrapped up two weeks ago in mexico the constructor's title was decided in brazil in favor of mercedes which was to the surprise (laughs) of nobody really but despite the fact that everything was wrapped up so quickly and so much in mercedes favor uh, the the gap that Ferrari had to the leaders in sort of the middle part of the season where everything was decided has disappeared again and Ferrari's become really quite competitive and Mercedes has dropped off a little bit. And we ended up with 
oh, well, another one of those classic races we had near the start of the year where no one was sure who was going to win it. Uh, the context in particular being the last two races, Mercedes has had terrible tyre wear. They've just not been able to use the car at all. And we saw sort of similar things, similar signs emerging during practice on Friday and throughout the weekend again, really for Mercedes and Hamilton, that they weren't going to have it all their own way. Yeah, and it was quite surprising for us during the race, of course. For the first sign of surprise was Ferrari's strategy on, on Saturday because the sky was really dark and uh, by the end of Q1 we started to get some raindrops and uh, we thought it was going to start to rain the thing is we have like a big group of 30 to 40 people that watch the race with us over there on, on Interlagos the usual like a group of friends and a friend of mine has been going to Interlagos for the last 20 years or so so he is quite experienced in Interlagos when we started to get these raindrops I can say that like 80% of the of the crowd close to me started to put the raincoats on to protect mm-hmm. themselves and I was just watching this friend it's like like Ferrari trying to mirror Mercedes' strategy mm-hmm. if he puts his race coat if he puts his raincoat on I will put mine on <laughs> he didn't I was looking at him looking at him the raindrops started to get stronger 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 and he didn't he ended up being right and uh we knew that if it didn't rain on Saturday, it wasn't going to rain on Sunday because the sky was much more darker on Saturday and uh, it just we, we just got some raindrops and Leclerc managed to get that magical lap on the, at the end of the of quali. But it mixed the, their strategy up. Ferrari almost messed them up, but they ended up uh, starting the race on yellows, which was a good advantage for them. And Mercedes stopped really early on Sunday. We were surprised by it because... When they stopped, of course, when you are on the racetrack, you are kind of in the dark because you, you don't have as many updates as you have when you're watching on TV. So you can just, you can pretty much watch the cars go around and trying to get some information here and there, but you don't have the slow-mo closes on the tires of Lewis Hamilton seeing the blisters all around. You just try to understand by the context, right? And uh, when Mercedes stopped early, we thought, okay, Red Bull will go three or four more laps and then that will be it. But no, they ended up going 10 to 20 laps longer than Mercedes. And uh, that almost killed the Mercedes race because we thought they were going to have to stop again. And probably they thought that as well. But Hamilton managed to manage another, another miracle, let's say and manage those blisters to get the win and steal the win from 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 Verstappen. Absolutely, steal is the correct word. The blistering in that sense sort of decided how strategy played out. Let's go back to qualifying for a second though because Ferrari's gamble in Q2 could so easily have gone wrong. In fact, really, when Ferrari did it, because it was Ferrari, you assumed that it would go wrong. I'm shocked that it didn't, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, they all went out at the start, as you said, in Q2, when there was rain falling down on the super soft tyre because no one assumed that there'd be time to set more than one lap. Ferrari went out as well on the super soft, but they did it as a trick. They came in after one lap. They didn't set a time at all to switch to the soft tyre, hoping that no one would have time to follow them. In the end, they were sort of correct. They were able to start on the soft tyre no one was able to better their super soft lap on the soft tyre because of course the soft is a step harder but it did almost go wrong for Ferrari for a completely different reason Sebastian Vettel and the Weybridge incident one of two Weybridge incidents in one weekend I can't I've never talked about the Weybridge before in my entire time following Formula One Uh, a, a moment of 
can we say mental weakness for Sebastian Vettel in a season that we've characterised by snaps in Vettel's mind at key moments? But then again, it's not as if there was much pressure on him considering the championship's over. So just a, a, a strange glimpse into, into his thought patterns during qualifying. It was funny because during quali, we were starting to feel those raindrops coming and uh, we saw both Ferraris coming in at the start of Q2. The general reaction was exactly that. Let's watch Ferrari screw things up again because they are bottling it once again. But then they 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 got they got a break. Let's say they caught a break because that was sheer luck. The, mm-hmm. the rain was starting to come down, and that was sheer luck for them. Good for them, of course. You need a little bit of luck to be successful as well. That's not taking their mm-hmm. there's not taking that away from them. However, the Waybridge incident is so funny because. The Way Bridge is sort of a geeky thing of Formula <laughs> One. Only the the biggest fans know what the Way Bridge is, and uh, because we have we 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 can see the Way Bridge from our standpoint over there in Interlagos. I had to explain what the Way Bridge was to a to a friend of mine, and it was quite ironic to see that becoming such a big deal at the end of the day. And it's exactly what you said, and I'd say it's the biggest mental snap he had this year. Because on the last ones he had, he still had the excuse of, okay, I'm battling, I'm battling Hamilton for the championship, and I have to get everything perfect. And he ended up making a mistake. Okay, he was pressurized, he got nervous, he lost it. Now, on this race, he had nothing to lose. He simply snapped, like you said. And it's such a little thing. Like, of course... It's not the best thing to get stopped in the middle of quality when you're trying to get a pole lap, when you're trying to change your tires and go for it, for go for it, go for a flying lap. But still, it's protocol. It's much easier to follow it. Stop. Don't hit the cone. Just stop your car. T- turn it off. Just get weight and leave it. However, he simply snapped. It's like I, I have that funny. I have a funny uh, trend on, on Twitter that every time Vettel snaps in a way, I put the flag of the race beside it <laughs> and I explain it like he hit uh, Ricardo, he hit Hamilton. I don't know. I was expecting to to put the Brazilian flag and just write Waybridge. <laughs> that would be the pinnacle of the snaps because yeah, but and it's one more case of Vettel needing a break and needing vacation. Mm. To come back stronger in 2019, I hope this is. I hope this is this is put in the past during the break, and he comes back stronger. He needs that mental strength to battle with Hamilton because we know Hamilton is one of the best drivers of all time, and he can't win simply by run by driving a Ferrari. He needs to be strong as well, mm, or by skipping the Waybridge. You can't win yeah. by doing that either. <laughs> <laughs> it did pay off for them. Well, it sort of paid off for them. Everyone thought it was going to pay off for them because they had the opportunity to start on the soft tyre. And after there was so much blistering on Friday, particularly for Mercedes, everyone assumed that starting on this tyre, which could run substantially longer than the Super Soft, allow you to easily one-stop this race, would have been a huge advantage. And, and Vettel qualified second, it has to be said as well. So alongside Hamilton, once they got off the line well, if they were able to do so, this race should have been Ferraris. That's what everyone was saying. That's what Toto Wolff from Mercedes said. Obviously, that didn't end up being the case. There were some mitigating factors for it. One of them was, we saw at the very beginning of the formation lap, in fact, that 
even from the start of the race, Vettel had a, a bit of a hampered car. He had a sensor problem relating to his start. It meant he was actually quite slow in this race. He had to let Kimi Raikkonen by twice, which never happened. So already there was no hope for him. But more importantly, and we've seen this in so many races this year, the tyre where people expect in the race based on practice never actually <laughs> happens, does it? Tyre wear, and I think Pirelli's admitted this, is normally about 50% better in the race. So the soft tyre wasn't really much of an advantage at all after all. Yeah, and I mean, it was interesting to see Ferrari even running a bluff at the beginning of the race before Mercedes had stopped. Ferrari went, they they got ready for a pit stop, then they came back. I looked I looked to, to a friend of mine and said, wait, they are running softs. Mm-hmm. Why are they bluffing now? And uh, after Mercedes stopped so early, we thought the advantage would be Ferrari's and we were, we were expecting Red Bull to stop early as well. And Ferrari were Ferrari was playing the weather card as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, for us in the crowd, like we talked about, we knew that it was not going to rain on Sunday because apart from the fact that the sky was really dark on Saturday, Sunday morning was a true scorcher. It was funny. I posted a, a picture uh, on Instagram and on Twitter of my girlfriend and I. And it's funny because we have a picture on Sunday morning, on, on Saturday morning, sorry, um, all covered um, wearing jackets and pants and and so on, but on Saturday afternoon we are wearing t-shirts, shorts, mm-hmm. sunglasses, caps. It looks like two different days, <laughs> even by the environment, and that shows how Interlagos changes so dramatically. And Ferrari were Ferrari was playing this card. Sunday morning was a true scorcher. Everyone was struggling on the on the on the stands because we don't have a roof over or where we are. We are we are in front of pit entry, right in the the almost in the the the. The, the straight mm-hmm. so it's a very fast sec- section of the race but we don't have a roof where we are and it was really hot for us but we don't we were not expecting rain some people were and if it rained ferrari would be an advantage over there and mercedes would be very hindered after they stopped so early but it didn't and the advantage went right over to red bull who managed their tires quite well they managed to go longer than they they should Ricardo almost got a podium because of that. I, I believe that if the race had two or three more laps, mm-hmm. Ricardo would be uh, doing a shoey in Brazil, <laughs> but that didn't happen. And of course, Ferrari couldn't capitalize on a great strategy. We have to give that. We have to give that to to them to give the, this credit to them. This was a great strategy for once. However, it didn't capitalize as well as it should, and Verstappen should have won their race, right? Yeah, but it sort of begs the question now. Hamilton won this race even though he shouldn't have won it. He was not very quick. His strategy was not very good. He won it purely because Max Verstappen was hit by Esteban Ocon, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I want to wrap up Ferrari first because they didn't maximize the strategy in the way anyone expected because they didn't run the soft tires that long. Sebastian Vettel, who we've already said had car problems, so was sort of out of the race already, pitted on lap 27 when the tires, the soft tires should have run maybe to the Mm mid-30s. Raikkonen stopped on lap 31, which means that they didn't really run to the maximum. They both swapped to medium tires. But the fact that Raikkonen finished on the podium... Now, Raikkonen is a race winner this year, so we've got to give him credit for that. But usually Sebastian Vettel is a fair bit faster than Kimi Raikkonen. Do you think that on this day, had Vettel's car not been so problematic, we might have been talking about Vettel being in victory, at least in contention for the podium, if not victory, given that the outcome was so unusual for this race? Uh, probably because Raikkonen was there dodging bullets, let's say. Mm-hmm. If we get the top six drivers, Verstappen was hit by Ocon, Hamilton had his blisters, um, Vettel had problems, Ricardo got a penalty... 
The only two that were not affected by any sort of big problem were Ham were Bottas and uh, Raikkonen, the the Finn duo. Mm -hmm. So Raikkonen was trying to stay alive <laughs> on the top six, and if Vettel had a good car, if Vettel didn't have any problems, he would be running in contention for a podium over there. Maybe, just maybe, Ferrari could postpone Mercedes' party to Abu Dhabi, but just postpone the inevitable. We know Mercedes would mm -hmm. win the the, the, the constructions regardless. However, Vettel would be in contention, especially because of the strategy and the advantage of starting in soft against Mercedes having terrible tire wear in the last couple of races and needing Hamilton to, to just take it easy and uh, having him manage his tires. Bottas and Vettel even stopped one more time, I, I, I reckon just to guarantee they would go to the end of the race. Mm -hmm. And uh, that summed up the race that we, we, we saw drivers just trying to avoid big mistakes. And uh, yeah, Bottas was funny because apparently he didn't run into any big into uh, no into no big trouble. However, he stopped again and he didn't find any performance during the race. So tire wear probably affected him as well. But apart from him and Raikkonen, everyone had problems and everyone had to deal with some sort of issue during the race. Well, that's exactly right. Now, there were mitigating factors for Mercedes not performing particularly strongly here as well. And I want to hold on to that thread that Vettel might have done better in this race. And we know that Red Bull Racing did do better in this race. But Valtteri Bottas had an older engine. Lewis Hamilton also had engine problems. In fact, there was one point in the race where Mercedes understood that his engine was going to explode in one lap. And somehow they brought the temperatures down and he finished the race. I don't know if they just said that to make it sound more dramatic, Probably. but that's what they reckon was the case. <laughs> yeah, but in the context of them struggling quite significantly in the last two races with tyre wear, in this race they said they felt like they got on top of it and they understood it. Given that Ferrari had problems, didn't perform at their maximum, is this still the case for Mercedes? They say they're on top of their problems, but do you suspect that actually, considering the blistering Hamilton was experiencing at the start of the race, his lack of pace towards the end on the medium tyre, that this is still an ongoing theme for Mercedes? And in fact, we might get to Abu Dhabi and they'll still be no good on their tyres. Yeah, I do. And uh, the fact that they had blistering problems show us that they are not on top of it. Mm -hmm. This is a problem that they still have to deal with. And the thing is, the championship battle is much closer now. If they had blistering problems in 2014, they mm -hmm. could afford to, to, to make an extra pit stop, and that would be it. They would still be 1-2 over there. Now, we have Red Bull and Ferrari much closer. For, Vettel could be fighting with Hamilton for the championship still if he didn't have so many blunders during the, the year. Mm -hmm. And if Ferrari had a messed up a strategy here and there, because I reckon it was mostly because of Vettel's mistakes than Ferrari's strategy. Much more for Vettel than Ferrari, really. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I don't see Mercedes having such a big advantage now. They had a big advantage in the beginning of the V6 era, but now they are not as far from the rest of the pack as they were. And this is a problem that worried them. They can't be 100% honest about it because this would give some sort of psychological advantage for the rest of the field. And they have to pretend at least to be on top of their game, to be solving those problems, even, even though we see a different story on, on, the, on, the, on the track. If they were on top of the game, Hamilton would, wouldn't be stopping so early and, and Bottas wouldn't be stopping twice in a race that he should be stopping only once. And so Mercedes also caught a break when Vettel had so many problems in, in the, in the mid-part of, mm -hmm. of the season because they had an easier time, let's say. They still had problems, but it was not so... It was not a moment that was so pressure... It was so filled with pressure for them 
now they have the break to try to figure out what happened this year that made them have this this big of a problem and I, I honestly don't know how the scenario next year will be especially because we have Red, Red Bull turning to Honda we all expect something but uh, we know that it's not so optimistic for them now and it was it would it would be interesting to see Ferrari Mercedes and Red Bull close it's funny because at this part of the season every team seems to feel like they can say whatever they want <laughs> and they won't have the the they, they won't have to pay for it because we have Forsenia saying that they will fight for third mm. we have Renault say that they will fight for podiums and they haven't found a way to do this in their history and I don't see this happening next year but who knows maybe this changes will affect them and I don't see Mercedes having such a big advantage next year. We can see a ba- a big battle if they don't try if they don't figure out these changes, uh, tire wise next year. We will have compound changes, of course, and let's see if Mercedes know how to deal with uh, the new Pirelli tires for 2019 as well. Mm-hmm. Some construction changes as well. Thinner treads actually was announced uh, this weekend by Pirelli, which theoretically would benefit Mercedes, but course it's impossible to say before they actually get their hands on them for next year so if we say at the end of this brazilian grand prix that ferrari underperformed they had some car troubles and didn't really get the most out of their tires maybe because Kimi raikkonen was their lead driver don't want to cast dispersions <laughs> but that's usually been the case mercedes also struggling with tire where quite significantly bottas again struggled more than lewis hamilton even though hamilton's engine was about to explode apparently the only team that really did really quite well was red bull racing and when i say really well i do mean really well because they took those super soft tyres that weren't meant to last any time really weren't last maybe 15 to 20 laps to laps 35 in Verstappen's case and for Ricardo had to do a fair bit of overtaking as well starting from 11th as you said with a penalty up to lap 39 which allowed them to switch straight to the soft compound tyre rather than the mediums which was of course faster should have won Max Verstappen the race it was definitely the faster strategy there's no doubt about this this was the superior strategy of the Grand Prix Max Verstappen comfortably in the lead when he had that coming together with Esteban Ocon, not the one in the <laughs> way bridge, the one on the track. Uh, Ocon was trying to unlap himself and he received not only a crash and a spin and fell down the order, but a 10 second stop and go penalty for his failed efforts. What was your take on that crash? Because it's actually been much more polarizing than I think maybe some people expected. Some people really blamed Ocon at the beginning and then they felt a bit of sympathy for him. And now some people are even having having a go at Max Verstappen, even though the stewards judged him to be completely in the right. I feel like both uh, sides are guilty, but we have a bigger guilt going to one of the sides. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ocon has all the right to unlap himself, and uh, he should do so if he's faster than the leader. There's no reason for him to slow down simply because he's closer to the leader. He has the right to unlap himself. However... He has to do it safely. I mean, he he has to find a way to show that he's going for the move because, of course, Max Verstappen is focused on he's focused ahead, and it's not his first trainer thought his first trainer thought to think, okay, I'm going to get unlapped now, so Ocon is going to dive on my inside. Now, thinking about Verstappen's side, it's his responsibility to give Ocon space. Ocon didn't do anything crazy right there. He tried to go for a move, he tried to go for a regular overtake, albeit in a, let's say, delicate part of the track, in a delicate way. If you're going to unlap himself, I wouldn't like to be borderline dive bombing, you know? But still, Verstappen has to be alert, and I feel like he forced uh, his way 
not to let Ocon uh, unlap himself. I don't see Verstappen giving Ocon enough space. And I simply think that o Verstappen didn't see Ocon. He didn't think that Ocon would try to unlap himself over there. And uh, he followed his regular race line. And uh, he he didn't think that in, in, in 100 years mm -hmm. that a Fursinia would dive inside in turn two. And he ended up crashing with him. But I don't see Ocon being such a, a, a guilty part of it. He has, let's say... An influence right there. I see it much more Verstappen's guilt than Ocon's in this case. He, 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 both sides had some sort of influence on the mm -hmm. on it, but I see Verstappen being the guilty part on it. And the, the incident on the way bridge was <laughs> just. I mean, he was he was the, the tensions were rising mm -hmm. over there. But this is not the typical reaction that you usually see, and he ended up getting penalized in in a in a, in a new way. <laughs> I never saw a driver getting two days of public service. Mm -hmm. We saw many different penalties this year and I thought he was well deserved of course he was angry he was upset but that's never the way that you should solve your problems and uh, Verstappen is not the, the the most popular driver in the paddock that doesn't go towards his uh, his his resume but I see Max being the guilty part in this case how much do you think and it's very difficult to say with Max Verstappen because he is so single minded mm -hmm. isn't he but then at the start of the year he was criticised and he did adjust his style he admitted he uh, stopped overdriving the car although he said it was because of his dad's advice not other people <laughs> that's what he says but after the race, obviously he was very angry and he had fair reason to be angry with Ocon because as much as he maybe he closed the door on him, you know, normally when you unlap yourself, you don't fight to unlap yourself. And that's actually what Charlie Whiting said afterwards. But do you think even a little part of him would be thinking that he had a role in throwing away what should have actually been not only a hard fought win, given he had to pass a couple of cars at the start of the race, but uh, one that should have been fairly easy in the respect that by half distance, more or less, he had the lead. He was pulling away from Hamilton. Hamilton was nowhere. Should have been a very straightforward victory. When Verstappen started to climb up the field uh, after the start, I thought to myself, I almost told that to my friends, but I thought to myself, hang on a minute. The last time I saw Verstappen trying to, to overtake the leader in Interlagos, he mm. spun. And this was 2016 when he spun by himself on that... Uh, that storm that hit Interlagos mm -hmm. in 2016. I think that Verstappen, he, it's not part of what happened in the first semester, but it's him trying to prove himself as a true race driver. I don't see the influence of the first semester of 2018 itself, but the influence of his whole career that he's never seen as a driver who is consistent. And if he could manage to get a win in Mexico, in Brazil... In the mm -hmm. trot, like, I got two wins in the second semester when Mercedes and Ferrari were, were dominant. And I managed to get these two wins myself. It was not because of rain, rain. It was not because of extreme conditions. I overtook them. I had great performance. And I got this win. And he had this opportunity to find this, uh, this character of a consistent driver. And also get payback from what happened in 2016. Because that race was his also. And uh, he got one more race taken away from him. This case, we have to admit that it was an incident that is unusual. Of course, I blame him a couple minutes ago, but I can see him. I can see him thinking that he got one more race taken away from him, and 
things always happen against him and uh, people will now say that he's reckless that he's not a consistent driver and he is a driver that cannot be seen as a future world champion he has a lot of pressure going on going against him since he was 18 years old simply because of his age at the start but then he created a fame and we know we all know that when a driver creates this fame of a driver who always crashes it's very very hard for him to get rid of it we wouldn't see Maldonado <laughs> getting rid of it. We wouldn't see Palmer getting rid of it anytime soon. And even though Verstappen is a talented driver, he has unquestionable talent. He ha- he is brilliant in some cases. However, he has to find this consistent. And this will be hard for him, difficult for him to get rid of this fame. And I see how, I can see the reason why he would be upset. However, it happens, you know. And... This reaction simply goes... It's simply one more topic that we discussed that when people say, okay, Verstappen will be your world champion one day. All right, but this, 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 that, and Brazil 2018. It's one more thing that goes against him, and I see the pressure just mounting up, and he thinks, when I will catch my break, when I will have the chance to have perfect conditions for me to, 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 to succeed, you know? I see where he could be upset about the whole contest. I don't see it being just 2018, but the whole contest and the whole pressure that he has against him during his career. So that was the way it finished. He wasn't able to catch up to Hamilton. Despite having a damaged car, he did close to within, was less than a second at some point, but finished one and a half seconds behind Hamilton, who recorded a very fortunate win. And in fact, very few seconds, only around five seconds separated the top four because Kimi Raikkonen had to defend against Daniel Ricciardo right at the end of the race. Uh, Ricciardo might have been able to get the job done had Valtteri Bottas not held him up, and Bottas did that for most of the race for everybody, held up everybody. He's getting quite good at doing that, actually. He says it's <laughs> annoying him how often he has to do that. Bottas and Vettel finished fifth and sixth. They were away off the pace, but they did make second stops, which distorts the results a little bit. In the, the minor points playing places, Charles Leclerc had another very good race, actually, for Sauber. Marcus Ericsson may have finished there had he not had floor damage at the very beginning. In fact, on the formation lap of the race, somehow. Haas drivers Romain Grosjean uh, and Kevin Magnussen finished eighth and ninth, and Sergio Perez had a very lonely race in tenth. They all had fairly quiet races in fact they finished almost more or less where they qualified uh, I want to talk about the, some of the drivers who didn't score points though because one of the points of interest actually was the battle between the Toro Rosso drivers for 11th and well, you know what could have been 10th maybe had you know Leclerc's floor started falling apart as well you don't know uh, but Brendan Hartley started outside of the top 10 Pierre Gasly started in it so Gasly started on the super soft tyre didn't work for him he made one stop on lap 22 and then ran out of tyres and then fueled towards the end of the race but Hartley actually had quite a good Grand Prix, maybe for a change if you wanted to be cruel. Started on the medium tyres, went all the way to lap 49, switched to super softs, then got caught behind Gasly, his teammate. Now, ordinarily, on different tyre strategies, the the teammate in front, who might be going slow, would be asked to let the teammate behind through, and that's exactly what happened. But Gasly refused for eight laps in what's this weird unfolding tension at Toro Rosso. We've seen it over the last couple of races between those drivers. I mean, that's one of the big sins of Formula 1, though, isn't it? Ignoring team orders, ignoring your team bosses. Are you surprised Gasly did this? It's always frustrating to have team orders when you're not even in the points. Uh, we, uh, we have the Sauber case in Monaco when we had Ericsson and Nasser going at it and they ended up crashing. We we had a, a new case now, and it's a case of two drivers having two different periods in their careers. We have Gasly going to Red Bull a little bit. Uh, he is a little doubted going to Red Bull, 
in a way that is he going to be able to 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 fight against Verstappen even or is he going to be a second driver does he have the talent to 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 take Red Bull to the promised land to take <laughs> Red Bull to another championship so he needs to prove himself he needs to score good points and show his talent and on the other hand you have Hartley who doesn't even know if he will be able to maintain his seat mm -hmm. because right now we have 20 seats in Formula One and only two haven't been decided yet, one of them being Hartley's seat. Of course, he may still be maintained simply because Red Bull, simply because Toro Rosso doesn't have as many options. However, he needs to prove himself and we saw Hartley stepping it up in the last few races. He had good results in the quality sessions, he had good results during the race, he scored good points in a couple of races ago. So uh, you have a driver who needs to prove himself to a bigger team, who needs to prove that he is the big deal, the driver who can fight for wins and championships. And on the other hand, you have a driver trying to run for his life, trying to run for a seat in Formula One, and that can create tension even in 11. So we can understand the whole scenario and the whole contest of this fight and how a, a zero points paying position could manage to create such a big fuss Uh, down, the, down the order. That's just the way it seems to be at Toro Rosso, <laughs> isn't it? It was a, a fairly good race for Brendan Hartley, but Toro Rosso has just been so inconsistent this year, haven't they? I mean, this is another situation. They seemed like they did quite well in Mexico. They were optimistic that it was going to carry over to here and it just didn't work out. And that was Gasly's justification, as you sort of said, when there's no points at stake, why should there be team orders? But sort of the reasoning, and this is probably what Toro Rosso's line would have been, is that you don't know what's going to happen in front of you. I mean, we see this in strategy all the time as well. We said it with, for example, Ferrari was able to run a longer stint because they were worried rain was going to arrive and maybe that would give them the flexibility to do that and there was Bottas and Vettel who made their late second stops because had there been a late safety car maybe because Hartley was going to hit Gasly <laughs> who knows then they would have had this advantage over everybody else because they already stopped for new tyres so it's is it really an excuse for Gasly to say well you know there were no points at stake when I was asked to let him buy 10 laps from the finish because I mean you never know what's going to happen not only in Formula One, but certainly the Brazilian Grand Prix it's not an excuse but it's one more case of analyzing something outside of a car outside of a racetrack in a in a neutral situation right mm -hmm. if we're here sitting with two microphones just debating <laughs> well something could have happened do you think he should he should have given his position to Hartley of course we're going to agree and say yes he didn't think about it he was not rational but he is in a race car going 300 kilometers an hour trying to defend a position, trying to fight ahead, trying to prove that he's a great driver, trying to do his job, of course. And uh, it can be frustrating. And, of course, it's it's a very thin line when you disobey team orders. One side, you have Leclerc saying, no, I'll go one more lap on this almost mm -hmm. rain that is falling. And he, ended up, and he ends up going to Q3. And he's a genius. We treat him as a genius. Like he didn't obey his team orders, he got to Q3. So he's a very he's a brilliant driver. Now, on the other hand, you have Gasly disobeying team orders the same way, trying to to follow his guts, let's mm -hmm. say. And now we he, we are questioning his uh, his decision making. So when you do such a thing, it's a very thin line. But mostly, you're just trying to follow your guts in an extreme situation. Because if you take your time to analyze it and if you have time to be rational, of course you choose the best option. But we, we all know that that's not the case over there and that's when genius are made, but all, mostly that's when your guts drive you. So maybe it was not the best 
position for Gasly to, to, to not obey the team orders, but well, luckily for him, nothing happened in front of him that would allow Hartley to score more points and make this a bad decision for him. However, I don't see this uh, disobeying as something strange. It was just a case of him following his guts and trying to establish himself, really, not only in Toro Rosa, but in Formula 1 in general. He had a good quality result, so he, he had good expectations going to the race. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely fair, isn't it? I mean, Formula 1, such fine decisions at such high speeds. The Brazilian Grand Prix never really disappoints, and this race was another good one. We did get a championship result. Somehow, Lewis Hamilton won the Grand Prix, <laughs> and we've got some thinking to do on Max Verstappen's part. And it's a pleasure, as always, to talk to you about it, Fernando. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to come back here, no matter... No matter how I am after the race, no matter how my <laughs> voice is, if you guys remember last year's episode, but it's always an honor and thank you for having me once again. I always have a lot of fun here. Thank you very much. That was Fernando Campos from F1 Podcast. Fernando is faster than you. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. You can get every episode by subscribing on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify and on your favorite podcasting app. And you can leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at f1strategyreport.com and stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and on Twitter. My name's Michael Aminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter. And I'll catch you in two weeks' time for a wrap-up of the season finale, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix.